Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, and let's jump right into the message now. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go just a, a little bit faster than normal, um, so I pray that God will still take the message and, and really use it this morning, because we have been having a time. We've been talking about attitudes, and we're talking this morning about getting rid of a critical attitude and replacing it with love, love. True or false? Let's start with a true or false question. You ready? Simple. Don't answer out loud. Just answer in your heart. But if you've had a difficult week, if this this morning you can look back on the last seven days since Sunday and you can see there's been some difficulty, you recognize some things in your week that presented some challenges to you, here's the true or false question. Can you look back on that week and most likely can you link the difficulty to difficult people? Isn't that true? The, the truth is, is that if you've had a struggle this week, more than likely it's been with somebody. It's been with a person. Sometimes it could be someone in our own home. Sometimes it could be with somebody at work. So oftentimes we find that we even struggle at times with difficult people in the house of God. And this criticism that begins to creep up in our lives against those people is what traps us. And over a period of time, without even realizing it, we become a critical person, and we develop a critical spirit. So what is the thing that can defeat that critical spirit? What is the thing that can, that can totally eliminate us uh, from, from dealing with this criticism that, that ultimately makes us miserable over time? And that is love and an understanding of what love is. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is described as the love chapter. Most of the time, you would find yourself at a wedding or some sort of a marriage couple's retreat where we would emphasize 1 Corinthians 13 kind of makes sense. But a critical spirit dealing with people, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, oh, there's no better place to be. Because in this chapter, we find a transforming truth that when we really understand the, the, what love is, the biblical definition of love, it can change us, and phenomenal things can happen. And so my prayer this morning is that love would change us, and that love would cause some phenomenal things to happen as we learn the principles of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So let's dive in, shall we? First principle, number one, is this. All truth and no love is brutality. All truth and no love is brutality. What do we mean by that? Well, let's jump in verse 1. Scripture says here, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and have not charity, and I have not love, then I am a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. In other words, if I can wax eloquent this morning, if I can speak clearly this morning, if I speak with the tongues, if, I, if I'm able to speak in such a way that you would be so impressed that you would leave the building this morning saying, wow, man, brother Eric really, man, he spoke, he spoke really well this morning and eloquent this morning. And man, he, he, he said a lot of things that made sense. If I do all of that and speak well and accomplish all of these things with my mouth, but I have not love, the Bible says I accomplish absolutely nothing. Now, the world has a distorted idea of what love is. And scripture helps us to clear that up. Because there's some definitions of love in the Bible. And, and those definitions are as follows. There's a word in the Bible, the word eros, and that's the love that, uh, that's spoken of in Scripture that means romantic love. It's a sexual love. It's a great love. It's an important love. It's part of what love is. 
And we find it oftentimes in the Bible spoken of an eros love, a romantic love. Then there is a love called phileo. It's a brotherly love. And it's a wonderful kind of love. In fact, the majority of Scripture speaks of either eros love or phileo love, romantic love or brotherly love in Scripture because the truth is we find that there's just not a whole lot of agape love today. Even in Scripture, the Bible doesn't mention agape love as as, as much as it mentions these other types of love. Agape love is a selfless love. It is a giving love. It is a love that says you are always before me. And in this specific chapter of Scripture, we find that we're challenged to have a selfless love. And that if we can have this selfless love, it will make the difference. But without it, if I come into the pulpit this morning and and speak with eloquent words and words that blow you away and words that make a lot of sense, if I say this morning how much I love you and how much I think about you, you guys are the best and I'm so grateful to be your pastor. You see why it's right to have drums in church? Makes for a good sermon illustration. You see, I was telling you the whole time how much I loved you, but you couldn't understand it because the truth is, if I speak eloquent words without love, that's how it sounds. You know what I found out about people is they know what real love is. Our kids know what real love is. Children understand what real love is. Notice verse number two is he goes on to say, if I have this gift of prophecy, if I understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all faith, think about that. What if, what if this morning I had all knowledge? Me. I knew everything. I mean, you could not ask me a biblical question that I cannot answer. I mean, go to the book of Revelation, ask me the hardest question you want to ask me. I've got all knowledge. I know, I understand all mysteries, the tough questions, the things in the scriptures that nobody else understands. I get it. I get it. I know it. I I, I, I can preach. I can explain the Bible. I understand all mysteries. I have all faith. I am so spiritual. I mean, there's there's nothing I can't trust God with. In fact, after the service, we're going to go out in the parking lot, and I'm going to show you that I have enough faith to move West Mountain three inches. To the left. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Pretty amazing. But scripture says, if I have all that, but I don't have love, it profits nothing. Zero. Absolutely nothing. And then in verse number three, the text takes a very interesting turn. Look with me, if you would, at verse 3, where it says, If I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Here is somebody who has an enormous amount of love. I mean, I I would venture to say that somebody who would sell everything they had, their house, their car, every possession they had, and they sold it to minister to the poor. That's pretty impressive. I mean, that's a person who seems to have a, a lot of love. And then the Bible goes on to say, If I give my body to be burned, a martyr... Someone that would say, I love you so much, I would even lay down my life. I would give my life because I I have so much love. And so we look at these two different dynamics. We, We look at someone who has all truth and no love and someone who has all love but no truth. And so we come to the second thought, the second principle, and that is this. 
that love is a balance between affection and truth. Love is a balance between affection and truth. They both go together. You see, what I often see happen is somebody, somebody puts the Bible over here and they say, you know what, let's just set the Bible over there and all that preaching and all that stuff. You know, you're busy teaching the Bible and preaching the Bible. Let's just put that aside. Let's go over here and let's just do something. Let's feed the poor. Let's, let's get something done. Man, you're wasting your time uh, preaching and teaching the Word of God and having all these Bible studies. Let's just go over here and, and, and love people. That sounds really good, doesn't it? Two elements in most churches, in most churches. You've got a fundamentalist element, a legalistic element, an element that says, here's the list of do's and don'ts, and here's what the Bible says, and if you don't like it, you can lump it, and and here's a hardcore approach to Christianity, and and, and I'm going to force feed you, and if you don't like it, it's too bad. And then here's a side over here that, liberal Christianity that says, man, do whatever you want as long as you love Jesus. Both are wrong. Both are wrong. That's not what Scripture teaches. That's not what Christ intended. It must be a balance between these two. And sometimes the balance can be very difficult. Sometimes it can be very challenging. Truth and love. Love and truth. Here's a friend that struggling with alcohol. He's becoming an alcoholic. He's drinking way too much and I know I need to talk to him. But man, if I go to him and I confront him with it, man, I don't know. He might get mad at me and might not talk to me anymore. I don't want to push him away. Here's my daughter or a daughter. I mean, man, she's dating a guy that's just not good for her. But she's in her upper teens and, man, I, I don't want her to move out of the house. I don't want to offend her. I'm afraid if I push her away, so... And we often get caught between the two, don't we? It becomes a real struggle. And so what do we need? We need a mind shift, a paradigm shift. We need a better understanding of of what love is. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is teaching us that truth is part of love. Truth is part of love. All truth and no love is brutality, but all love and no truth is hypocrisy. So this is the love balance equation. This is what we've got to balance. All truth and no love. No, no, no. That's that's brutality. But, But yet all love and no truth is hypocrisy. So how do we establish a balance? Here it is. Are you ready, church? On the majors, on the major things, we got to take action. On the minors, we've got to learn to accept But in all things, love. In all things, love. Look at verse number six says, he goes on to further give us the truth. He says, love, love, verse six, love rejoiceth not in iniquity. Love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. Let me tell you what fires love up. Truth. Truth fires love up. Love does not, love does not rejoice about sin. So we got to figure something out, don't we? And that is, what's major? What's major, preacher? If we're going to take action about major things, then what is major? Well, let's, let's talk about some major things. Number one, is it critical? Is it a critical, life-changing issue that's going to produce major fallout? 
what, what, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, what about a major doctrinal error? What if I got up in the pulpit this morning and I said, you know, I've just been studying. I've been listening to this guy on the radio. And, man, he's been kind of talking. And, church, I, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'd just like to talk to you guys today about the fact that there really is no, no virgin birth. Why am I not being tackled right now <laughs> and drug out? I'm exaggerating slightly. The truth of the matter is, is that's a major doctrinal issue. We're going to have major fallout if, 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 if we are messing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the major, a major doctrinal issue is reason to take action. And number two, a marital, an issue of marital unfaithfulness. That's, that's a major issue. That's something that needs to be dealt with. A criminal act. Uh, an abusive behavior. Honestly, churches, uh, church, I know churches that have been destroyed because of sweeping these things under the rug. Criminal acts and destructive behavior and abusive children. Let, oh, sh- let's sweep it under the rug. Let's not deal with it. And all of a sudden, you've got major fallout. Because these are major, critical, life-changing issues that will produce serious issues if they're not dealt with. What is major? What about a chronic problem? Is, is this a chronic problem? Is it something that's happening over and over and over and over and over and over again? Do we see some repetition here? Do we see something happening that... That, that, that's obvious it's an issue, it's a problem, and, and a word from a loving friend, a gentle, a gentle word from a loving friend of correction would bear much fruit in someone's life. A gossip. A gossip. Someone who just is constantly talking about people and things and And it's just over and over again, and you're with this person, and you're hardly ever with them, if ever, that they don't want to talk about someone else, something else. And so I lovingly look at that person and say, let me ask you something. I've just noticed every time I'm with you, you you seem to want to talk about people and issues, and I sense a critical spirit. Is this something you struggle with? It needs to be dealt with. I know that I'm here today because somebody loved me enough. When I was neglecting my family, there was a pastor that came to me and said, Eric, I love you, but you're going to lose your family. What are you talking? I love my family. I didn't say you didn't love them. I just said, Eric, if you keep traveling 52 weeks a year, if you keep leaving on Mondays and coming back on Wednesdays or Thursdays and, and then having the load of the ministry to take care of for the next three days and and, and never having time for your family, I, I just, I love you enough to tell you, you won't have a family. I'm 70 years old. I've been in the ministry. I've seen a lot of my friends get divorced and lose their churches because all they did was minister to the church. Eric, listen, you're neglecting your family. I'm here today, married 27 years, and all five of my kids serving God because somebody had the guts to confront me. You say, what are you insinuating? I'm insinuating I might be a divorced man. I might be a man who lost his children. You see, that man loved me enough. He saw a pattern in my life. And he wanted to get my attention. That's a major thing. 
So is it a chronic problem? Is it a critical problem? What about, is it close to home? Is it a situation that's close to home? Are you close to the situation? You know, I don't know that I would go to, uh, let me look at a family with kids here. I don't know if I would go to, um, everybody's got kids. I don't know if I'd, I'd go to Karina on the third row there, or fourth row, and say, Karina, you know, I'm just kind of worried. I noticed your kids don't go to bed, uh, you know, until 11 o'clock, and they really need to go to bed earlier, and I just want to throw that in. You know, honestly, I've got an opinion, but it's really none of my business, to be honest. That's, that's something I probably shouldn't speak into. I don't, I don't feel obligated, to, but you know what? If my kids are breaking curfew, if I sense my kids in my home are not behaving properly, I have a responsibility. That's close to home. If I sense my wife has a critical spirit, if, if I sense that, that my children are, are neglecting the things of God, I have a responsibility. That's close to home. That could become a major issue. And so sometimes when matters are, are close to home, we, we must get involved. And not sit passively by, but speak up and participate. Listen to me, church. Love participates. Love speaks up. Love is not silent. Love doesn't just shut up. Love love doesn't just let those we love the most just continue in their sin. Love says something. So now let's look at verse 5. Because love tells us how to take action. It's amazing. Here's how to take action. Don't behave yourself unseemly. Don't be rude. Don't be ugly. Don't be mean-spirited. Love is never yelling. Love doesn't yell. Love doesn't hit in anger and frustration. Love doesn't abuse. Uh, love doesn't breathe threats. Don't, don't let love be unseemly or unkind. Love seeketh not her own. Love is not selfish. Love doesn't say, well... You know, I know I need to go to Jerome and talk to Jerome about a problem, but man, if I say something to Jerome, maybe he'll get mad at me, and I don't want him to get mad at me. No, no, no. If you get mad at me because I'm talking to you about something, it's unfortunate, but love seeketh not her own. I'd rather you not get mad, but I can't not say something because you might get mad. I've got to say it anyway. See? Love seeketh not her own. Love is not, uh, love, love doesn't, love doesn't, uh, let's look at the next part of the verse here. Love, seeketh, love is not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. Love is not easily provoked to, to, to fly off the handle and to get, to get all out of sorts. Love, love thinketh no evil. Love is all about forgiveness and, and, and let's get past this and, and it's going to be okay and, and we're going to make it through. This is how love takes action. So what are the minor things? Let's talk about some of the minor things now. We've talked about the major issues. Now let's talk about the minor things. First of all, matters of personal preference. These are minor things. And these are the things, by the way, there's a thousand more minor things than there are major things. Because the minor things are the things that seem to really divide the churches the most, not the major things. We, we seem to be okay with the major things. <laughs> We seem to kind of shut up about the major things, you know. But the minor things, you know, musical preferences or a disagreement about this, the color of this or this person or this decision or this. The minor things. And not just in church, but in our own families. We tend to get upset about things that really don't matter. How ridiculous is that? What about personality differences? 
People are different. Some are quiet, some are loud, some are, some are aggressive, some are passive, and we're just all different. And, and, and thank God that everybody's not like me. Thank God everybody's not like you. And sometimes we're offended and we get upset only because we just don't like the way somebody is. And that's just their personality and it's okay. It's minor. It's no big deal. And then finally, what about some sin issues can even be minor issues. You say, what sin? Yeah. Sometimes there's even sins that that are just better to let God deal with that person. Pray for them. Ask God to intervene. But... But be careful that, 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 that there's acceptance still. That we're not just pushing people away. And so sometimes I, I found myself, you know, my, my job is just to come alongside someone and, and love for them and, and, and love them and pray for them and, 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 and still preach the truth. But just to accept the fact that right now this is something I just need to pray for them about. We should be more accepting. Look at verse number four. Charity suffereth long. It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't get jealous. It, it doesn't brag. It's not puffed up. And so replace a critical spirit, number three, with an attitude of love. And that's what verse number four is all about. It's about an attitude of love. It's about moving toward people. It, it's about accepting people on the minors and taking action on the majors. It's about being patient and about being kind, about walking across the room, being aggressive in your love. It's about being for people, rejoicing in their success. Not being jealous because of their success. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Love says, I will not make you uncomfortable by boasting about all my successes. You ever been around somebody that just boasts about all their successes and after they're finished you feel like a loser? You know? It's just brag and brag and brag and brag and, and, and you're struggling and, and, and you, you, it's been a long time since you've accomplished much of anything and... It's like calling a preacher and, you know, you're like, he's like, how are the offerings? And you say, man, we're struggling, but we're below budget. How are you? Oh, we're above budget. And you're like, stink. <laughs> Why can't I be above budget, you know? And the, and the attitude that you have is, man, praise God, brother. I'm so happy for you. Pray for us. See, you see, love doesn't brag. Love doesn't brag. Love says, I will not highlight my life in any way that belittles or embarrasses you. Don't leave people behind. You know, I feel like so many people get left behind. So many people are belittled and, and they just, they never really get connected because they're just, they just don't measure up. And I feel like we need to be more careful about that as a church family. I know as a, as a young, a young teenager, I, I began to recognize those who were being left behind. I don't know, it just started young for me. As I remember back in, when I was just a young, I mean, I was 13, 14 years old. I was a kid in our school named Robbie Ripperger. He had a big mole on his cheek and he was a nerd. I mean, he, I was growing up in New Orleans and I remember he had no friends. He'd always eat alone. And, and one day I decided I was going to sit by Robbie, even though I, I, I was... I didn't know him very well, and we didn't have anything in common. I sat by Robbie that day in the, at the lunch, and we had lunch together, and one of the guys from the basketball team that I was a starter on came up and said, you know, what are you doing sitting next to this, this kid? And, and right in front of this kid, he belittled him. 
He, he said, listen, we don't hang around people like that. I couldn't believe it. I was in shock. And, and so I said, well, listen, I'm sitting here. I'm going to eat lunch with him. It's, what's wrong with that? He said, well, if you do, you're going to pay. And I did pay. To make a long story short, I, I lost a lot of friends. And my best friend became this 13-year-old, if you will, nerd. It didn't have a lot of talent, a lot of ability. He was just a computer geek, a, a guy that knew a lot of things, but didn't have a lot of connection with the real world. And so we became best friends. God put us together. I remember after I left school, came back 20 years later to New Orleans, and God gave me an opportunity to lead Robbie to Christ. And when I came back to New Orleans, and I called Robbie after 20 years, and I said, Robbie... He said, who is this? I said, this is Eric. And he said, you mean Eric, the one who would sit with me at lunch when nobody else would? Is this the Eric I'm talking to? You see, people need to feel, even if they don't measure up to everybody else, that they're loved and accepted. They're loved and accepted. I I believe that's what Scripture is calling us to today. An acceptance. And there's four ways that love accepts. Look at verse number 7 as it teaches us how to accept people. Look at verse 7. Beareth all things. That's the first the way to accept people, to bear all things. That means that love bears the weight of misunderstanding. And then the Bible says that love believes all things. Love defends. Love finds itself saying on a regular basis, you know what? I don't think that's what she meant. I know, I don't, I don't think, I think you must have heard that wrong. I don't think that's what he meant. Love believes all things. Love always believes the best about people. I can't tell you how often I find myself defending people and saying, no, they wouldn't have said that. No, they didn't mean that. Let's go to them. Let's talk to them. And most of the time, nobody wants to do that. No, no, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't want to go to them. But love, love would want to do that. Love would want to say, listen, I don't think that's what they meant. I think if they knew they hurt your feelings, they would feel awful. Let's fix this problem. Love believeth all things. Love hopes all things. Love sees people not as they are, but as they will be by God's grace. Do you know why? Because we were once like that. We're not everything we need to be. We've got a long way to go. We are not the people that we were. God is changing all of us. Amen? And so love says, you know what? I, I, I I I know they're doing rough right now, and I know they're not doing well, but I believe by God's grace. They'll change. Love believes that. Love hopes all things. And then love endures all things. Love doesn't let anything get in the way. Love doesn't let a wall build up between you and that person. Love is committed. Love says it doesn't matter. Like Eric here on the front row. Eric's a good friend of mine. We go way back. Eric was in my youth department when I was the youth pastor at Gospel Light when I was the pastor. How old are you now, Eric? 33. I'm 51. But Eric used to be 13 when I was about 30. And so there's been some time. And Eric, nothing's going to come between us, brother. Nothing. I love you. Regardless of what happens, I'm committed to you. Even if you're not in our church, that's not going to change my love for you. And if I see you at Walmart, I'm not going to say, oh, there's Eric. I better go the other way. No, I'm going to embrace you. And we're going to be friends no matter what happens. That's love. Love doesn't allow walls to be built up and criticism to crawl in. And love doesn't allow uh, uh, things that that, that would divide us. Love says, no, we're going to endure these things. We're going to make it to the end. 
Love never fails. I love this poem. Of the themes that men have known, one supremely stands alone. Love is the theme, love is supreme. Sweeter it grows, glory bestows. Bright as the sun, ever it glows. Love is the theme, love is supreme. I've often thought, why is it that most preachers don't stay? I read the stat again this week. I, I, I looked it up. It's easy to look up. How long, do, you know, what's the average length of a pastor staying? It's three years. That's the average length of a pastor stay, three years. The average length of a youth pastor is two years. And I got to thinking, man, 24 years, you know, I just celebrated 24 years and I got to thinking, it hadn't been easy. I mean, there's been times when I've been hurt by the people, some people in our church. And there's been times when I've hurt people in our church. There's been times when I've felt lonely and forgotten as a, as a pastor. But there's been times where people have felt lonely and forgotten because I've been a doofus. There's been times when I've said things in the pulpit that have been hurtful. There's been times when you've said things that have been hurtful. Are you getting this? You see, the biblical concept is this. There is no enduring relationships without forgiveness. Do you know why I believe that pastors don't stay very long? Because pastors are unforgiving and people are unforgiving. And so when a problem comes, the easiest thing to do is just to leave. To walk away. And go somewhere else. And then leave there and go somewhere else. And As opposed to just saying, no, love is stronger than that. Love is enduring. Love will get through it. Love never fails. And when we make a lifetime commitment to one another, you're going to disappoint me and I'm going to disappoint you, but we're going to go forward together. There's power in that. And that's how the world knows what we're all about. John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. Loving one another through everything. And on the majors, we take action. On the minors, we accept. In all things, we love. And then we have this promise. Love never fails. Wow. Love never fails. And so I can take that to my marriage. Well, but, but, but my husband, you just love him. But my wife, listen, Patrick, love her. Love. Love always takes things to a better place. It won't fail you at home. It won't fail you at work. And it won't fail you at church. And finally, let's get up close to personal. Am I a loving person? Am I truly a loving person? That's a question that has to get answered. It has to. Number two, am I seeing the benefits of love in my life? Am I seeing those benefits? Do the relationships I have in my life evidence the love that is pouring forth from me into other people? Beginning with my family. Beginning with my kids. This past week was Father's Day, and i got to be honest. I've had it pretty easy. I mean, i got, I got great kids. But I did have one kid for six months, man. He, he got away from God. And it put, a, it, put a, it put me in a place I've never been before, man. My oldest son, Mo. Man, we never had a problem with Joe or 
Zoe or Chloe, and I know Zoe and Chloe are still teenagers, but I mean, it's been minor things. But Mo was major. It was tough. He was kicked out of Bible college. And for six months, I didn't know who that kid was. It was crazy. I remember Carolyn and I cried a million tears and prayed into the night. I remember going to him and saying, you know, son, I, man, I love you, but honestly, I'm going to give you another week, and this doesn't affect my love for you, but I'm going to have to ask you to move out, and I'll help you pack your stuff. I mean, it, it was just a, a moment in my life that I didn't know if I'd get through. And then all of a sudden, wow, everything changed. Forgiveness came flooding in our home, and our son got right. And after that six-month just prodigal time, he came back, and I've never seen a kid more on fire for God. He's our student pastor now, and, man, that kid is, just blows me away with with how he wants to serve God and love God and love his parents. And now he doesn't do anything without asking what dad thinks. There was a time when he said, I'll never be a preacher. I don't want to be in the ministry. And now guess what he is? (laughs) So this Father's Day, he gave me a card that said 101 reasons why I'm glad you're my dad. I'm going to be honest. I've lived 51 years. Or 52. How old am I? Am I 51? 51. I've lived 51 51 years. I've never, ever received anything right. And I think it has something to do with he he had that six months. Because when I got that list and I read that 101 things, I thought most of them had to do with, you know, dad not giving up, dad loving him even though when he was unlovable. Most of them had to do with love. Most of them had to do with time that I've spent with him. And I thought, God, this is it. This is, this is it. This is what works. This is supreme. There's nothing like this. Love, we went through a tough time. It was horrible. We almost lost him, but yet love reigned supreme. And six years later, the one thing he remembers is dad loved him no matter what. And that's what brought him back. And so I'm framing it. I know it, I know it might be might seem like I'm bragging, but I'll put it in my bathroom. So you'll never have to worry about reading it. But I want to read it because I want to remind myself what is most important. So let's get rid of the critical spirit. How do we do that? Love. 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 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is the essence Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. With our heads bowed and eyes closed as we close the service. And actually, believe it or not, just on time, a couple minutes late. I would ask that maybe you would consider the message and consider the part of the message that spoke to you the most. As we solve this critical spirit, as we begin to inject love into into that critical spirit, as it begins to change and I'm going to ask you this morning to, to just feel liberty to come to the altar or to just take this, your, your hand, your spouse's hand or your child's hand, whatever you feel you need to do, pray with someone. 
I mean, our invitations do not last long. They just last long enough to where God can begin to do the work. You're here today and you've never been saved. You've never trusted Christ. You don't know if you died, you'd go to heaven. You've never experienced the freedom that's in forgiveness of sins. I, I want to ask you in just a moment to feel the freedom to come. We're up front. We're, we'd love to talk.